Good morning. How are y'all doing? That's cool. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying your morning. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be preaching God's Word and to be here worshiping alongside you. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, whether it's an app or you got a hard copy because you're cool, go ahead and go to Jude. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 23. Uh, if you're new, uh, we are walking through this series called Contend, which is a series or a study on the book of Jude. It is a small but powerful book. It is the book right before Revelation, in case you, uh, you didn't know. Um, and it's 25 verses, so it's really small. Don't flip through it too quickly or uh, you'll, you'll pretty much miss it. <clears throat> um, as you flip through through your Bibles, as you scroll through your phones, I uh, just got a couple of things for you. Actually, I just really have one thing for you. Uh, so we've been in this series in Jude for the last couple of months, uh, and it's been a really, really good and fruitful and beneficial time through Jude. Uh, we're actually going to begin to land the plane in this series. Next week, uh, we, we close out the series on Jude. We will have spent about seven weeks just in this small book, but then we are gearing up and getting ready for our series in Advent. And we're really excited about this series in Advent because as a, as a church, as a congregation, we've actually never um, observed the season of Advent. And later on today, you're going to hear uh, or watch or see a short video on why we are observing Advent. You'll hear more about that later, but just wanted to share how excited I am for that time in the coming weeks. Uh, other than that, that's all I really wanted to add. I hope y'all are ready because if we learned anything or if we have learned anything as we have walked through this book, Jude packs mean punch. And even though sometimes we only cover two or three verses, he says a lot in those two or three verses. Last week we covered a big portion of scripture and he had a lot more to say. Uh, this week is not necessarily any different. And what I'd like to do is begin our time by way of question. Now I started it off this week. I normally start off our time with a question. And so I'd like to drop one on you today. And the question is, do you like tension? No. <laughs> Honesty. I like it, right? Do you like tension? Do you enjoy sitting in the tub of awkwardness when it comes to having to address someone and the tension is so thick in the room that you can literally slice through it. There are many who are weird about uh, tension because they say that they like it, but the reason they like it is because they want to elicit a response from the other party. And then there are those who don't enjoy it because it's only going to make the situation even more awkward, uh, even though they know there is something concerning and necessary to address. Addressing false teachers is kind of like that. It's painful, it's awkward, but it is helpful and necessary. And over the last several weeks, Jude has been walking us through this great picture of the character and conduct of false teachers. In fact, he spends more time in this letter uh, to the church writing about false teachers than he does 
the grace of God for them. And as we've examined in this short but stout letter, it is imperative that us as the church know the character and the conduct of false teachers because if we're speaking plainly, it's going to involve some tension-filled conversations. If there's a false teacher on the big screen telling you that the reason you don't have X, Y, and Z is because you didn't have enough faith or they are twisting the words of scripture for the sake of your comfort, it can be cringeworthy. But you can scroll away, you can change the channel, you can exit from that application and the tension involved is minimal. However, when there are false teachers that come from within the church and they're in your missional community or they are seated across from you at the coffee shop and that wonderful friend drops something heretical, what do you say? Those are some tense, uh, filled moments. At the beginning of his letter, Jude tells his readers and us that he is writing to them so that they would contend for the faith. That's verse 3. And over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at what it means to contend. Today, Jude tells us exactly how to contend. Last week, We examined God's judgment on the ungodly and unrepentant sinners. And I must say that it was was a difficult sermon. It was difficult and sometimes it just has to be because we have to confront what God's word says about judgment. The central message in the passage was that God judges sinners, yet the hope in the passage was that Christ saves sinners according to his mercy. But the application was just repentance, not just as it's unimportant, but the application was for us to remind ourselves of repentance and humility. In other words, there wasn't this 10 steps to live a godly life and avoid judgment kind of application. We had to just sit in the tension of God's judgment. Here's my point. Over the last few weeks, we have been passive in receiving God's word through Jude. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean it in the sense that there has not been a lot of application in this section of scripture. The biggest thing has been a heightened awareness, the evaluation of our hearts, and the reflection on the condition of our hearts as we see in Scripture. Today is a turning point. Jude turns his attention to the activity of his readers and provides them with three ways in which they are going to contend. And we're going to look at what it means to contend through remembering, remaining, and rescuing. Should be easy to remember. Remembering, remaining, and rescuing. And here's the main idea. The main idea is that contending for our faith means that the church is not to walk ignorantly among one another, but diligently with one another for the sake of the gospel. I'll say that one more time. Contending for the faith 
It's what this series has been about. Contending for the faith means that the church, you and I, the church is not to walk ignorantly among one another, but diligently with one another for the sake of the gospel. And so I'm going to read verses 17 through 23. I'll pray, and then we will dig into this text. And so here's what God says through Jude, beginning in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being such a good and gracious God. We thank you for pouring your grace and mercy out onto us this morning. We thank you and praise you for pursuing us and sending your son to die on a cross for us, purchasing our redemption and changing our hearts. Father, may our time in your word this morning be the continuation of our worship. As you speak to us through your word, we ask, Father, that you would edify us, that you would encourage us, and that you would exhort us for the sake of our good and your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beginning with verses 17 through 20, we're going to pick this apart as we move forward. Jude opens this portion of our time with a transition. He says, but you. Again, over the course of the last couple of weeks, and as we look at verses 5 through 16, we have been passive in what Jude has been saying. In other words, he is telling us about the character and the conduct of false teachers, and he is telling us this so that we would be aware, so that we would be alert, and so that we would have some sort of spiritual urgency. Now he is transitioning to specifically address us and the activity that we are to in involve ourselves in as it pertains to contending for our faith. I want you to notice that his tone changes when he's addressing the church. In the past couple of weeks, he has used very harsh language, very strong language. He has pressed the church on who and what to look for, but here he changes his tone. There's a distinction between the false teachers and those among the church. He calls them beloved. Beloved is a term of endearment. And so his tone is changing. And the first thing that Jude tells them when it comes to contending, he tells them that contending means remembering. That the pages of Scripture are filled with God. I want you to think about this. The pages of Scripture are, are filled with God reminding his people of what he has said, who they are, and what they are to remember. And the reason for this is because you and I are a forgetful people. 
that we easily forget who we are in Christ and just as quickly default to who we used to be outside of Christ. And as we go over the pages of Scripture, we are constantly seeing God preach to his people, remember, remember, remember who you are. Remember what I have done for you. Remembering is always about our identity. It is always about the work of God for us. And I know when you hear the word contend, as we have discussed in the past, it means to struggle with, to wrestle, to do something about it. You wouldn't necessarily think that contending begins with remembering, but the pages of scripture say otherwise. Jude tells us otherwise. Contending means remembering what God has done for us in Christ, what God has said to us through his word, and who we are in Christ Each of these sections, Jude is going to tell us what we need to do to contend and why. And so here he tells us that we are to contend by remembering. Well, what is it that we are to remember? Well, the first thing is that we are to remember the teachings of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this in verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to know when it comes to what this involves. Remembering involves the doctrine of Christ. That is the redeeming work of Christ for sinners. That God entered into human history so that he might reconcile man to God through his life, death, and resurrection. The doctrine of Christ teaches us that Jesus died on a cross for our sin, paying our penalty, purchasing our redemption, and giving us the gift of grace that you and I cannot earn. In addition to the doctrines of Christ, there was also the necessary sanctification for those in Christ. In other words, just because Jesus has saved us or as Jesus has saved us and called us to himself, that doesn't mean everything ends and it stays there. No, instead for the Christian, for those in Christ, we are not static in our spiritual maturity. Fruit is actually consistent with our repentance and sin is not legitimized or minimized, but put to death. When it comes to the teachings of Christ and his apostles, we must remember the doctrines of Christ. Additionally, we must remember the deception of false teachers that are told to us from Christ and his apostles. Jesus warns us about false teachers in Matthew 7. Paul tells us about false teachers entering into the church in Acts 2 and 2 Timothy, a book that we preached through in the summer. Peter tells the church in 2 Peter that false teachers will come from among them. John tells us, we walked through that in the spring, that false teachers are coming. That's all that Jude is writing about. And what he says is that the apostles wrote that these individuals, these false teachers who will be from within the church, they will be scoffers, that those who are false teachers, those who are within the church will laugh and mock at the work of Christ, the return of Christ, and Christ himself. 
once more in this section by remembering what Jesus and the apostles have said and written. He reminds us of what false teachers do. In the event that you haven't read Jude, it's almost like a summary of what we've walked through these past couple of weeks. These scoffers, these false teachers, Jude tells us that they cause division. Sometimes this is church division where some people don't disagree or don't agree with certain things, therefore they break off and maybe do their own thing. That's not necessarily what Jude is talking about here, that when it comes to division, it is a cancer that is within the church. That it is a group of individuals that actually stay within the church and they actually take joy in ripping and tearing people apart, setting one against the other. And that it slowly spreads and grows within the church, causing divisions, causing quarrels, causing arguments. He says that they produce worldly people that the disciples that these false teachers are interested in making are not disciples of Jesus, but those whose heart is unrepentant, those who dismiss holiness, those who are for themselves and not their Savior. In short, lust is their Lord. Those are the kind of disciples that they want to produce. And finally, Jude says that they are empty, they are void of the Holy Spirit, that they are lost, they are actually not regenerated, that there is no fruit in their life, there is no fruit of conversion, there is no fruit of repentance. They claim to know God, but they deny his works, just as Paul tells Titus. And because they do not know God, they are actually still at war with God. When it comes to this point of remembrance, I want you to know it begins with our identity. But I also want you to know, remembrance provides the church with a clear view of sound doctrine and deception. In other words, what false teachers will look like and what they will do. Remembrance provides us with a clear view of sound doctrine and the deception of false teachers. Therefore, us as the church, we cannot be idle or ignorant to what Scripture tells us about false teachers. To do so, to be ignorant, to be idle, is to neglect the work and implication of the gospel for our lives and within our church body. I want you to chew on that. Remembrance reminds us of our identity. Remembrance provides clarity. And remembrance doesn't mean doing nothing. If we are to contend for the faith, we are to remember the teachings of Christ and his apostles. As we move on, Jude will now say that contending for the faith means remembering, or excuse me, remaining. This is verses 20 and 21. Jude once again now turns his attention to the faithful church by saying, but you, beloved, there's that term of endearment. And he begins to explain what the next step in contending means. 
First, it was the clarity of remembrance and where our identity starts, and now it is the work of remaining. Well, remaining in what? Jude tells us in the middle of this passage, right? He goes on to say, but you, beloved, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. What do we remain in? The love of God. Jude's formula is simple. It is basic. It is strategic. It is solid. Like the bench press or the deadlift or a squat, steak and potatoes, right? Like all those different kinds of things, like those are just basics. They're basics because they work, right? You can insert your interest or discipline. doesn't matter. Everything has a foundation, and that foundation is always cultivated by basics. And that's what Jude is about to tell us. Well, how do we remain in the love of God? How is this basic, solid, uh, strategic formula executed? He says the first thing is that we are to build ourselves up in the holy faith. The most holy faith is the faith that is written about in the pages of Scripture that Jesus lived the life that you and I cannot live, died the death that you and I deserved, paid our penalty with his blood, offers us the gift of grace that we cannot earn, reconciling us to the Father and removing the fence of separation that we have with him, gifting us a new heart and transforming our lives all together for his glory. Not only is this found in the pages of Scripture, but because of Scripture, it is actually what the Christian longs for. Our souls long for this, that we desire to know God and to cultivate a longing for God, to grow a deeper relationship with God. Church, our Bibles must not be closed. If they are, we run the risk of becoming dull of hearing. My wife got to teach the the ladies yesterday morning on Hebrews 5, did an amazing job. We met with the men the week before, and same thing, did Hebrews 5, and that is uh, Hebrews 5.11. The the author of Hebrews goes on to say that about this, that is the doctrine of Christ, I want to tell you more, but I can't because it's difficult because you have become dull of hearing. that when it comes to building ourselves up in our most holy faith, man, our Bibles ought to be open. We ought to take pleasure in the scriptures, grow in the scriptures, mature in our faith, desire to see God and ask God to not only be present, but to speak to us through his word, begging the Holy Spirit to do a work in us that cannot happen if our Bibles are closed. That cannot happen if you, how can I say this? That cannot happen if you, uh, I already lost the word. It can't happen if you depend on an app to do it for you. And when we do that, 
when we rely on an app, when we rely on something else other than us disciplining ourselves and devoting ourselves to God's word, we run the risk of becoming dull of hearing. And in Hebrews, the author tells us what happens when we become dull of hearing. We become immature. We become immature because we are unskilled in the word of righteousness. We become immature because we lack discernment. In other words, we cannot distinguish between good and godly. We cannot distinguish between unloving and loving. We cannot, sound, we cannot distinguish from sound doctrine and false doctrine. We cannot distinguish between some of the things that we ought to. That if we are to build ourselves up in the holy faith that Jude is talking about, our Bibles must be open because we desire to not only know more, but to grow in the maturity of our faith. Jude says that we are to pray in the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice that this is a characteristic that is totally different from the false teachers. This is a characteristic that is completely different from the false teachers he just finished talking about, that the Christian actually has the gift of the Holy Spirit who resides in him. See, praying in the Spirit means that we desire for God's will to be our will, for his will to be done, not ours. Praying in the Spirit means being counseled and taught by the Spirit himself as you fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus told us what the role of the Holy Spirit is, that he is a counselor, that he actually helps us to remember what Jesus has taught that he convicts us and he directs us. The Christian has the Holy Spirit, therefore we can pray in the Holy Spirit. He continues that we are to worship while we wait. He says it this way, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The context of this little verse is that for those who are in Christ, we are certain that Christ will one day come again to reclaim his bride, the church. And in the meantime, we worship while we wait. We worship not because we hope to have certainty, but because we have certainty. The Holy Spirit is proof of that. The scriptures are evidence of that. And until that day comes, we will live out the mission God has called us to as we worship. Danny Aiken says about this passage, he says, building up is our edification. Praying in the Spirit is our communion. Now comes our looking for the Savior in anticipation. If we are to contend for our faith, we are to remain in the love of God. We are to remain in the love of God through pursuing our most holy faith found in the scriptures, praying in the spirit and worshiping as we wait in anticipation for his return. Finally, if we are to contend for our faith, we are to rescue those who are wandering and lost. So let's recap briefly. We talked about Contending, meaning, remembering. It begins with identity and it leads to clarity. 
Now we looked at uh, contending by remaining. It begins with remaining in the love of God and how we cultivate that is through spiritual disciplines, the reading of God's word or devoting ourselves to the reading of God's word, praying in the spirit, worshiping as we wait in anticipation, right? And now Jude transitions to say, now the way in which you contend is by rescuing those who are wandering and lost. This is verse 22 and 23. To begin, what I mean by rescue is not that we save sinners, right? That's something that only Jesus can do. Let's just be super clear about that right now. That is something that only Jesus can do. However, Jesus does call us on mission. You see, not only does the Christian uh, know God and is known by God, but the Christian, because they are known by God, because the Spirit of God resides in us, the Christian hates sin. The Christian hates sin because they know or we know that sin separates. Sin has ripple effects. Sin is cancerous. And because we know the horror of sin, we know or should know what we have been saved from. Jude closes this section with a statement of the condition of our hearts or what the condition of our hearts ought to be toward sin. He says this at the end of verse 23, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. We must take sin seriously, especially because of the Holy Spirit residing in us. And this last section of that verse is actually pulled from, from what God tells Zechariah in chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Here's what happens. Or excuse me, Joshua through Zechariah. He says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. The Christian hates sin not just because sin is bad. The Christian hates sin because the Christian knows what sin does. The Christian hates sin because they know what they have been saved from. The Christian hates sin because the Holy Spirit resides in the Christian. So not only does that mean that our sins have been forgiven through the blood of Christ, but that we have also been given the power to say no to sin. Therefore, we must be ready and alert to get our hands dirty. We must be prepared to rescue brothers and sisters who are wandering and who are being led astray. I must admit that this section is probably, not probably, this section is the hardest for the church to execute. It's the hardest for the church to execute because it means getting dirty. It means walking and living in the tension and actually doing something about it. It means approaching someone specifically about their sin. It means preaching the truth, not just by sharing something on social media in hopes that that person's going to see it. It doesn't mean that we kind of dance around the issue. It actually means that we get ourselves dirty. And so this is what Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. 
If you think back to the opening of Jude's letter, Jude prays that God would multiply our mercy. I think it's for things like this, so that we would show mercy with those who doubt. And so when he says that God would multiply our mercy, he's talking about our compassion and our conviction. I'll talk about those more in just a minute. But when it comes to those who doubt, what Jude is telling us is that we are to be patient. We are to be gracious and loving with those who are struggling with the truth, with those who are wondering. But we are never to sacrifice the truth of God and his word. That's both compassion and conviction. That we want to demonstrate compassion and sympathy for our brothers and sisters, but we do not want to forfeit, forsake, or sacrifice truth for their comfort or ours, which is really what it's all about. That the reason sometimes we don't really press the truth on our brothers and sisters is because their situation is actually making us feel uncomfortable. And so what is it that I can do to evade the truth so that this would be okay? That would not be showing mercy. That would be lying to them. The truth is that if we belong to Christ, because we belong to Christ, we ought to be compelled to not just pray for them, but to preach the truth of Christ to them. And when we preach the truth of Christ to them, it is not that we are hitting them over the head with the Bible and saying, do this, stop doing that. It is that we are begging them, beckoning them to return to the love of Christ. It is that our hearts are actually filled with sorrow and anguish. And when it comes to the preaching of God's word, when it comes to sharing the truth with the brothers and sisters, we are actually broken as we bring it to them. Paul says it this way in Romans 9, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What Paul is saying is that his heart is so filled with sorrow, his heart is filled with anguish for his brothers who do not know the Lord. And what he is saying is, if I could lose my salvation so that they would have it, I would go that route. That when it comes to remembering our identity and remembering the clarity that scripture provides us and remaining in the love of God that ought to compel you and I to rescue those who are straying, those who are wandering, but it will cause tension because even in your anguish, you're going to present the truth. And as you present the truth, you do it in a way that is gracious and loving, in a way that where you are broken and you want them not just to do good, You want them to know Jesus. That's why he says that we ought to show mercy on those who doubt. So we must deal patiently with some of our brothers and sisters. He continues by saying that we ought to respond quickly to those who are being led astray. He says, saving or save others by snatching them out of the fire. Here, his tone does change a little bit and it is one of urgency. In other words, we must do something before it is too late. 
This isn't only the necessary work of prayer, but sometimes it is jumping in and getting our hands dirty, speaking the truth in love, but nevertheless speaking the truth. That when it comes to us seeing a brother or a sister beginning to stray or be led astray by poor teaching or their own understanding of whatever else is going on outside of the teaching of Scripture, that we must get our hands dirty. And if we're honest, the church here struggles. And the church in the valley struggles because, you know, the way of babysitting in Hispanic uh, culture and families is like, as long as I can see you. Right, And in addition to that, in addition to as long as I can see you, like uh, my mom would always say, well, like leave him, leave him so that he falls in his face and see what happens, right? That's kind of how we treat the church in the valley. Because, because what, 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 when it comes to like our culture, but what he is saying here is, as you are seeing them being led astray, don't just leave them so that they would fall on her face. Actually go over there and get your hands dirty, That's going to be a really awkward conversation. It is. It really, really is. And the heartbreaking thing is that the church, is that the church rather be ignorant than diligent. We rather embrace our comfort so that they wouldn't be bothered by the truth. We are to respond quickly. Here's what James says in chapter five. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That requires us to get dirty. That requires us to address sin while preaching the gospel with a broken heart. And finally, he says, to others, show mercy with fear. In this final exhortation, Jude tells us once again to show mercy, but the context is a little different. Here, Jude means that as you deal with those who are struggling with sin or false teaching, yes, we ought to show them mercy, but we need to be careful, hence the word fear, we need to be careful that we don't become entangled in what is going on. In other words, we need to be careful that we don't become entangled ourselves in their sin or their false teaching or that we too are led astray. The word fear here is one that is actually geared toward God. That is, as you address someone who is struggling or straying from the truth, our fear is rooted in toward God and our mercy is wise and careful. In short, there are some that we will have to deal with patiently. There are some that we will have to deal with quickly or address quickly. And then there are some that we will have to deal with carefully. But make a note, we must deal with our brothers and sisters. Notice how there, there isn't that option. If you don't wanna do this, it's all good. <laughs> like that option isn't presented. We must deal with our brothers and sisters. If we belong to Christ, then we know what Christ has saved us from 
and we know who we are in Christ. We must not avoid the tension of diligence and embrace comfort for the sake of stuffing things under the rug. The gospel church is at stake. Souls are at risk. And Christ calls the church, that is you and I, through the Holy Spirit to respond with spiritual urgency. Many of you have seen friends walk away from the faith or have had church experiences where there was intense hardship, even to the point where the church closed her doors. I want you to know that our motivation for remembering and remaining in the love of God and rescuing those who are wondering, our motivation isn't simply the work of doing. Our motivation is God's grace for us. That is our motivation as we remember what Christ has said uh, or who, who we are in Christ as we remain in the love of God and as we rescue those who are wandering and being led astray. Our motivation is God's grace for us. Our motivation is God's unmerited favor toward sinners. That he has purchased our redemption that he has gifted us a new heart, that we belong to him as sons and daughters through Christ. So as we close, Christian, do you have spiritual urgency? All of us have friends. (laughs) Do you have a spiritual urgency? How do you keep yourself in the love of God? of God. I promise you an app isn't going to do it for you. Grow in the scriptures. Mature in God's grace for you. Devote yourself to the work of the gospel. Repent of the sin that you hold on to this morning. And if you're not a Christian, I'm really glad that you're here. And my hope and prayer is that you would come to know Jesus today. Because he is ready to pardon any and every sinner who turns to him in repentance. Mercy will be gifted. His grace will be poured over you. A new heart will be given to you. And you will know him. Church, if we are to contend for the faith. We must not walk ignorantly among one another, but diligently for one another for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, as we end this portion of our time, may your words from Scripture pierce our hearts. Spirit, may you discern our hearts. May this time of listening and teaching and reflecting be pleasing to you, Father. Father, we are quick to forget, and even faster, you are quick to remind us of who we are. 
And that's where all of this begins, our identity. God, I pray that we would not diminish the value of our identity in Christ, of who we are because of Christ, sons and heirs. Father, forgive us of our sin, our habitual sin, the sin we commit in order to forget your word, the sin that we commit for our own desire and fulfillment, the sin we commit to hide from you. Holy Spirit, would you empower and edify us this morning to put it all on the table for the sake of turning toward our Savior and King, Jesus Christ.